Hey, this is Zach from the band Citizens, and you are listening to the Christian Music Guys podcast. You heard it on today's episode. We interview Citizens. Citizens has a new EP coming out this Friday, July 1st, with the song Imagination. Welcome back to the Christian Music Guys podcast, the podcast for Christian music fans by Christian music fans. And Jacob, not Jesse, because he is still ill under the weather. And he's out of the States. No, he's out of the States, isn't he? He's, well, technically, he may be under the weather still, but he is in Ecuador? No. He's in Kentucky, Appalachian. Oh, he is not. He's in the States. Yeah, he's in the mountains of Kentucky. Is it called Appalachian? Appalachian or Appalachian? (laughs) Is Appalachian the country way of saying Appalachian? (laughs) I have no idea. Anyway, Anyway, he's up in the sticks, like (laughs) for real. I thought he he had, when he had said wherever he was, I thought that was like he was somewhere else. But okay, makes sense. Have you ever heard of the Pittsburgh Potty? No, I have not. So, the Pittsburgh Potty is a toilet that sits in the middle of a basement. And usually it's an unfinished basement. And it sits in the middle of the basement. No walls, no sink accompanied it, nothing. It's literally just a toilet in the middle of a basement. And with the plumbing, with the plumbing, okay, 100%. You could sit there and use it. Um, they there's a whole bunch of things, it's like getting really big right now because uh, it's it's known in other like states as well. Usually, it's in northern states like New Jersey, Boston. Um, it's like usually like northern, but Pittsburgh. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, I meant <laughs> wrong, <laughs> wrong P word. I was, I read Philadelphia while I was. Where'd you speaking. go to high school, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> oh. So it's this huge thing where it's literally just a, in the middle of the basement. I can, I'll show you a picture and I know our listeners won't be able to see this picture, but just look up a Pittsburgh potty and you will see exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so, so there, there is, is like a brick wall There's behind it. Well, that's, that's just one of them. Yes. Sometimes there is like a column behind it or sometimes it's literally just sat. So my thing middle. is if you do have a finished basement, is that acceptable to have a potty in the middle? Of the- no. So, so usually they're on, they're only ever found in unfinished basements and there's some speculation on why they think that these houses were built with these. Usually these houses were built in between 1880 to 1910 are usually the estimated um, built date of these houses. And there's, there's three different speculations. One is that, um, Usually Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh was a, a steel town, so a lot of the jobs that you know guys would have in that um, city 
would be they'd come home dirty and really nasty, filthy from after being after work. So in order to make sure that they didn't track dirt all over the house is they would be in the basement, they would clean themselves off, change their clothes, and then they could relieve themselves and everything on the toilet um, prior to coming upstairs and, you know, going to dinner and sitting down for dinner um, and without all the dirt and grime on them. Um, So that's one speculation. The other speculation is it was used for servants. Um... And, or maids or cooks or some, something like that. But then it doesn't make sense because there's literally nothing else down there. Um, that's just an, like someone else said something that it could be that. But the most common or the most common and um, most reasonable, I guess, explanation for these toilets is that it wasn't uncommon for like developing cities especially in the 19th century, to have sewage back up on the streets. Um, And then since Pittsburgh is so hilly, uh, a lot of times it would happen there the most as far as like sewage backup. So the sewage would enter in the homes, of course, at the lowest point in the home as far as like where the lowest sink is or Mm -hmm. drain is. So what they would do is they would install these toilets in the basement. So instead of fecal matter backing up into their unfinished basement and just filling the whole basement, it would fill the toilet up and then they could then go it's like once they saw that the toilet was, you know, backing up, they could then let their neighbors know and like, you know, say, hey, that you know, the, the streets are backing up again and let's get it. We need to get it fixed. So that is the most likely reason in these toilets that are in the middle of the basement. So just a little history lesson, I guess. I have no idea what this is. It's probably the oddest story that we've ever talked about before. It is. I do have a question, though. You have an unfinished basement. I do, but my house was definitely built after 1910. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> Get the jackhammer, boy. <laughs> you got plumbing down there. <laughs> I do not have a toilet in the middle of my basement. I don't think your How- wife would be. I don't think Jessica would be appreciative of a toilet I, in the middle. Yeah, I, I have seen uh, some videos that have been uh, going around. Oh, they have videos out of it? Well, there's videos of people being like, um, I need to find one of these toilets. Like, does anybody live in a home mm. that there's one of these toilets that's are, that's randomly in their basement? And this one guy responded and was like, yeah, I'm in Pittsburgh. I have there was this ran, the, the, I have the Pittsburgh potty. So they actually went over there and used the bathroom <laughs> and the guy let them use the restroom in that toilet in the bottom in their basement. Um, so if you have any listeners yeah. in Pittsburgh, uh, we would be interested in coming and filming one of our episodes in, around your toilet. I no, I'm just joking. I don't know if I'd be interested in filming, but you can send a picture for sure. I would, I would not mind seeing a picture of the random potty that's in the middle of your basement. It's just so bizarre. Why? Like if the third reason, like explanation is correct. And that is why they 
were installing these toilets like in their drain in the basement. Who in the world first thought, I know, I know how to not make poop, water, fecal matter go all over my basement. I'm going to install a toilet over that drain. And that way I'll know before it gets all over my, ba- my basement that we have an issue. I mean, I guess ingenuity, maybe. Another question is, okay, so the toilet is in the middle of the basement. Mm-hmm. How do you wash your hands? There's no sink. That, that, that's why they think that that is the reasoning behind this 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 toilet is there is nothing else. It's literally a toilet in the middle of the space. Like there is not a sink in the basement. I, there I, isn't yeah, a, but you got to go upstairs and touch door handles and stuff to wash your hands. Well, that's why they're, they are thinking that it is, it was just, it wasn't used as far as like for the bat, like to use the restroom or to relieve yourself, I guess was what you would say. It was just used to see when the street sewage was backing up. So it was <laughs> strictly just just to make sure that your basement wasn't backing up with poo. Oh, mercy. Well, we are not plumbers at all. Um, our expertise is music, and so this is what we're here for. <laughs> we have spent almost... 15 minutes talking about toilets and basements and <laughs> <laughs> you'd learn something new every day and know that. So back in December, January, around that time, we came out with a, an episode called under the radar Christian artist. Now, Chris, you brought up this group that we are interviewing today. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this group and how you found them. Um, I think it was how Spotify, when you play up like a playlist and you can have a setting turned on to where it will play like uh, similar music or like mm-hmm. music that it thinks that, that you would you like. like. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure uh, Made Alive came on um, and th- back then they were called Citizens and Saints and... I literally was like, that is, that is a dope song. I added it like a heart, liked it, whatever you do on Spotify. And, and then just followed the band from then and just loved their stuff. Um, and that's, that's how I, that's how I found them. That's how I found rivers and robots as well, which was also mentioned. Yes. In that same episode. Correct. So we sit down with citizens. Now you'll hear in this interview some pretty cool stuff, but citizens and Chris talked about this um, in that episode uh, under the radar Christian artist, but citizens used to be the worship leaders of a church called Mars Hill. And we talk about, we unfold a little bit of that in the interview and his, his time there, um, you know, Quite interesting things that happened at Mars Hill, but you'll hear about it. And they have a new EP that drops this Friday, which will have the song Imagination on there, which is an amazing song. The music video, he took uh, different directors around the United States, took 
and cut it and made like a 30 second like a music video of the song and so they broke it up in different sections and that is a whole music video it's it's different directors of music and they made their version of a 30 second version of a clip of that song and it's put together as a fantastic music video so support this group they're an amazing group citizens the ep releases this friday make sure you get you a copy or download it on all streaming um platforms um, so check this interview out all right we got zach from citizens thank you zach so much for taking the time and chatting with us to today yeah thank you jacob i appreciate it yeah uh we were just sitting here talking about um our hometown louisville and zach you had uh you said you were your wife is from there and so you know uh it's a great city talking about different things did you ever get to go to the louisville slugger museum oh i still haven't gone but my brother he we have four kids and he has got all four of our kids a bat with their name engraved on yeah yeah the bat and if in case people don't know there is a humongous bat on the outside of the museum, probably what yes. fifty foot tall. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. It, but it's not made out of wood, so it's like it metal isn't. or something. No, I know it's <laughs> disappointing. But. but yeah, it's 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 funny. I love I love baseball, so seeing the I, I need to go to the museum and actually see it for all its worth. Yeah, yeah, you would like it. So Zach, tell us. Um, let's go back from the beginning. How did you get your start in the music industry? Well, I mean, I have always, I mean, I've been writing since I was very young, but I didn't really, I can remember going to concerts and stuff growing up. Um, my uncle was a, he was a concert promoter in New Jersey. So I would come, I lived in, I grew up in Maryland and so I would go up a lot to concerts that he was promoting, mostly in the Christian music industry. And I remember even uh, having a moment when I was in high school, my aunt and uncle sort of dragged me to this festival called Creation. And uh, I wound up having a great time. It was awesome. But I remember sitting there watching, I think it was like Switchfoot or something like that. Just Mm -hmm. like, man, if I could do something like that one day. But I always just assumed it wasn't going to be possible. I think because I didn't know anybody. Like I grew up in a really small town didn't know anybody that did music professionally or even was pursuing it. Or most people, it was sort of, if I even brought up the idea of, I'm going to do music, they sort of didn't really comment on it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think they too thought that's not possible. So then you fast forward years, many years later, my family and I are about to move out to Seattle. And I'd still been writing songs, but I was sort of unsure of who I was as an artist. And I shared this song with someone at this church that we were part of called Mars Hill. And they were just, their response really took me off guard because I wasn't expecting them to be so moved by it. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if it weren't for that sort of vote of confidence, I might not really have continued writing even songs for the church at all. And that's, that's where Citizens began. And I would say that that was kind of the be- beginning of my music career, I guess professionally, um, was around that time. Uh, but, but up to that, it was just a lot of writing songs, sharing them with my wife or random friends or making them sit through, friends sit through terrible concerts of bands I had in high school. But mm. they did it. So, 
your style is is different than a lot of the CCM artists that we normally hear on the radio, um, which is a good thing. I like I like your all style. And in fact, we were interviewing a movie producer called his name was Chris Dowling a few weeks ago. And uh, he was asking us, you know, because he he has most of his time, he's just producing movies and writing for movies mm-hmm. and things like that. So he don't really get to listen to a lot of Christian music. And he asked us, who do we recommend? He goes, but I don't want your cookie cutter Christian group, you know, nothing against <laughs> those guys, but I just want something different. And we actually did a show. Uh, it's probably been, oh Lord, three or four months ago on Christian artists that don't get a lot of attention. And mm. we actually brought you all up. No way. And thank you. Yeah. And, uh, we just love your style. And we told him, you know, check out citizens. And we, we told him about another group too, but he said, yeah. And I said, if you like different, then you will love them and different <laughs> in a good way, obviously. Cause it's, well, it is, you yeah. know, your, your style is not like, I'm not going to mention any groups, but it's not the top 40 style and which mm-hmm. I love that. And so tell me what, um, what, what do you guys label yourselves as? That is a great question. Uh, I used to really fight against this because I, I don't, I still don't necessarily think of us as a Christian band, but, but Mm -hmm. we do op, we do live in that space. Um, but I started to realize as years went on, like you can't really control that narrative. Like people are going to label you and see you however they see you. And so some people call us a worship band. Some people call us a Christian band. Some people call us an indie band. Some people call us a rock band. And I've, you know, even like this past year, we got nominated for the first time ever for a Dove Award, and we were in this rock category, and it was just like, man, we couldn't be more different from most of the bands in this category. And it, and it <laughs> kind of, it made me sort of excited that, <laughs> that they still can't figure out how to label us. And so I don't know, I, I, I definitely... Th- would say that for me, all the music that's inspiring me and influencing me oftentimes is alternative rock music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that's inspiring me. And, and it definitely, um, it definitely influences our sound. And I think also, yeah. even though I, like my uncle would send me CDs of Christian bands, that was kind of the only if I listened to Christian music, that would be the only way I heard any of it. He would send me, mm-hmm. here's a Jars of Clay record, or here's DC Talk, or sure. Audio Adrenaline. And, and I had a couple of those CDs, and some of them I really loved. And then as the years went on, I just kind of stopped listening to a lot of that music. And so for so many of my formative years, I was listening to music that wasn't really in the Christian space. And so I think that's probably part of the reason why our music sounds the way it does is because... I sometimes people bring up like, so you remember this song from this? I'm like, I'm sorry. I really don't know that song. (laughs) Um, And because I just didn't grow up with it in that, in the same way that a lot of other people did. And it's, and it's not, I don't even see that as like a, I don't wear that as a badge of honor. It's just simply, I just didn't know about a lot of that stuff. Um, And so now I I get educated on, I'm like, Whoa, that's crazy. And you see these different artists that in the nineties that were Christian artists that were influencing and, just doing so mm-hmm. many really cool things. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm taking a long time to answer your question, but no, it's good. really just, it's one of those things where as much as I, I, th- I think the only label that I won't put on us is that um, 
is I, I wouldn't call us a Christian band simply f- because of the fact that there's so many artists that have inspired me in my life that were Christians that were not Christian bands that sure. expanded my faith in ways that I'm still, I'm indebted to them for that. Um, mm-hmm. And I hope that we're doing the same for other people, even people that don't identify as Christians. Sure. So you you brought it up briefly a little bit ago, but Mars Hill. So you were um, on staff there as one of the worship leaders, correct? Yeah, I was. Okay. Could you just tell us a little bit, like our listeners, what did you learn from that experience? And obviously there may be some that, you know, don't know of the whole, the whole Mars Hill um, issues and everything, but right. uh, all you could do is Google it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's on Google, <laughs> but just tell, tell our listeners, you know, what did, what did you learn from all of that? Yeah. I mean, how much time do we have? I'm just kidding. Uh, it is a long story. No, you know, I it's changed a lot over the years. So I it's almost like broken up into different acts. So the first one would be when I came to Mars Hill, I had never been at a place that value, that had such a high view of the worship leader role. Uh, mm. Most places that I'd ever worked, it was more or less the worship leader is just the person who sings. And there would always be these little jokes about like, all right, let's turn to, you know, in meetings, let's turn to the, you know, sixth chapter of Hezekiah. <laughs> all the worship leaders are looking for that in the Bible right now. Like all those kinds of jokes. And I, I I was always, and so that kind of mentality made me sort of assume this identity that, oh yeah, I'm just a musician. That's all. And a creative person. And coming to Mars Hill showed me that there's actually a lot of like, there's just a lot more to that role and a lot more that I'm meant to learn and discover. And so I really grew in theology in that time, which was really sweet. So that, that really was like the first thing where I realized, Oh, as a worship leader, I should be reading and studying scripture more than I do. And that honestly opened my eyes to so much that I had never even thought about. And I'm Mm -hmm. forever grateful for that experience. And then the second act was learning that, oh, you can have all the knowledge in the world and it might make you feel superior and make you feel like you can talk about things better than other people, but it's just, uh, it's a defense mechanism to, to disguise insecurity. And it's also just, it can get downright really unkind. And so mm-hmm. I started to see the effects of that at Mars Hill where it was sort of this arrogance and this idea that well we know we're we're right and everyone else is wrong and i had been in enough churches through the years that maybe didn't necessarily value theology in the same way but definitely had a mentality of we're the ones doing it right and everyone else is sure they wouldn't say wrong but aren't doing it in the same way we are which means that they're not doing it as good um that was the so that was the second thing i started to really learn in the process i was like i don't like this and i don't think that this is the best way forward and then the third act was marcel sort of imploding on itself in on itself and realizing that um there is a lot of stock that we put in leaders and we because of we sort of value their 
effectiveness, and not even their effectiveness, we value who they are as Christians, as believers, as brothers, as sisters, based on their effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was the hardest thing and lesson to learn about myself was to realize that there were many ways in which I gave Mark, I helped to give Mark that platform, just like any other person that really went to that church. And that's not all a bad thing, but it, there was a point when it became unhealthy because mm-hmm. we perpetuated this idea that Mark was the brand of this church, but that's not what it was. And so exactly. I took away from that. And one that I carry with me for the rest of my life, I will carry with me is just, I think that the church has such a low view of the priesthood of all believers that we, we put so much, um, we have such high expectations for leaders to, to answer all of our questions to carry all this weight, and then they do something that kind of none of us saw coming, and it really messes with us. And that has been a really eye-opening experience for me to see that, well, we're the priesthood of all believers, which means that there's an opportunity for accountability to be known, but that there's also, um, that there is a lot that we can learn from one another, that we don't just have to be the most eloquent speaker, the most, uh, the one people with the the highest degrees, uh, the ones with the loudest voices that I learned stuff from my kids and I learned stuff from people that are really old and I learned stuff from people, even people sometimes that aren't Christians teach me things about who God is because they're image bearers mm-hmm. of Christ, of God. And so I just, I think that that is um, probably the biggest thing I, I learned in the thing that I'm still living in. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was chatting with you before we we started recording, and you know I came from a I mean a situation at a church, and uh, you know I, I come to realize that a lot of people put these pastors on pedestals, and they start mm-hmm. worshiping the man rather than God, and then when the man falls, it's like whoa, you know you actually you finally see okay wow. Like they were serving man the whole time and then their faith is just completely just gone. And right. That's, you know, in this instant this instance for me, uh, when the church, you know, split and everything, there were so many people. I mean, it was it was only a church of like five hundred, but there was probably almost four hundred people that left and over you know, over half of that four hundred today are not even serving God in, in, yeah. in any fashion. Um yeah. And it's it's a sad thing, man. It's sad to see people, you know, um, put these put these men on pedestals, and and then like you said, you know, people were were making Mark as this like <laughs> like this person, like you know, it's it's just yeah. insane. I hear you know? a, it's interesting yeah, too exactly. when you think about semantics because. A lot of people don't want to think about this because it's easier just to say the things that we've always said. But I, I do think it's time for us to really reconsider some of the language we use. Like for instance, when we say, I go to this pastor's church, or mm-hmm. um, we leave church on a Sunday and we say, hey, what did you think of church? And the only thing we talk about is the sermon. Right. And I think that there's a lot of language that we use that we need to start have a willingness to say like, well, why do, why do we, 
why is so much of our language about our church oriented around the person leading it? And it's funny, last night I was watching this show and it was, it's this like, it's sort of like historical fiction, but this guy is up giving this speech and it's at this political rally and everyone gives this great speech and everyone just starts chanting his name, even though they're mm. there uh, for this particular party. Sure. They start chanting this person's name. And I just thought, Oh my gosh, isn't that so interesting that they all are there because they believe they have these, the same ideology, but now they're chanting this person's name because they're seeing this person as the one that's actually going to make this thing happen for them. And it's mm -hmm. just how many times do we try and find those saviors and how many times do those saviors let us down? And, and just yeah. like you and I both, we have people in our lives that aren't following Jesus anymore. And I think that we really do a disservice and a harm to, we bring harm to the church when we elevate mm. people in a way to where we quote our pastors more than we do Jesus, where we, mm. we wind up actually, um, we're a part of, of things that sometimes cause a lot of pain and hurt to people. And I think it's our job to keep telling our story. I want to keep telling mine because yeah, even though I've been hurt by the church, I've experienced so much good from it too. And yeah, absolutely. I and I have to own the fact that I, I also did those things. Like I would quote Mark. I remember one time being at a show in Seattle, I was in line and this person is was in line and was like, yeah, but what about Mark? And somehow he overheard me talking to this other person in line. It's like, what about Mark? And he does all this stuff. And this is before Marceau was even like all the, that negative stuff was even on the, yeah on our radar. We we're still there. And this person was saying this stuff and I turned to them. And I was like, well, you know, I, I started defending Mark. And man, that night I had this like feeling, even as it was happening, I had this feeling like, oh man, I don't, I don't think I should have done that. And then all these years later, it's like, oh man, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like it's not our job to defend people. Like uh, sure, a close yeah. friend, a spouse, sure. a child, like great, let's defend them, but let's also be careful to the links that we'll go to, to sort of keep this little kingdom that we were helping, that we are helping to build propped up. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's something that I just, I hope that people, even out of the Mars Hill thing, I know a lot of people listen to the podcast, that they would do some of their own introspection and realize that for all the things that, and excuses we want to pin on other people for why we don't walk with God anymore, and for all the excuses that we want to pin on, I don't know. It's just, it can become this vicious cycle. And when you're hurt, you just, it's hard to sometimes see, to have perspective. And sure. so we need friends in our life still that can help us be, help be a mirror and show us, show us what's yeah. true. That's good. Uh, so back to your music. So as, as I mentioned earlier, we had you or well, citizens on a previous show episode a few months ago and a song that we really were loving of you all's is you brought me back to life. <laughs> and after I heard that song, I was like, man, this is, this group is like, is amazing. Like you don't hear that sound <laughs> all the time. And, uh, uh, in your all's music videos, that's, a, that's another level, but, uh, <laughs> oh, man, thank you. so you brought me back to life. Tell us about that song. So 
that is that's actually a really interesting story. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, so we had written our whole and recorded our whole second album, and and in the course of like two months or six weeks, it was something crazy. Mm. There was a lot of pressure on us. Mars Hill was starting this label, and they're like, "Let's get the second album out." And in hindsight, it was all really premature. And if I'm honest, I know a lot of people really love that record. I, it's one of my least favorites, not because necessarily the songs, but it's because of just the whole process and sure, it just really felt forced. Um, but you brought me back to life. We got to the end of one of the days of recording, and I was about to go to town for a week, and we finished tracking this song and I was like, Oh man, I just, I stopped in the middle of it and I was like, I don't think this song is good. (laughs) And so I was just like, you know what here, here's the, this is like a track I was working on. And this was Brian in the band. He was also producing the record. I was like, here's a track I was working on. I'm just, I don't know, man, like just see if any idea comes to mind over the next week. And while I'm gone and when I come back, we could, if, if you think it's worth working on, we'll do it. And then I come back and he has written all these amazing lyrics and melodies to You Brought Me Back to Life. Mm. And so that song, uh, that song was sort of in like the final hour. And we were, you know, we're tracking the last song of the record, thinking the record's done. Hey, it's not this this terrible. <laughs> and then uh this song comes about. And that that was pretty, pretty cool and encouraging. And then and then, you know, we we sort of tied it all together and wrote, finished it in the end but i mean most of what you hear in that song was just kind of like this idea and track that i had going and thought i don't know what we could do with this and he turned it into this song that's still to this day one of our favorite songs and definitely yeah. a really fun one to play live yeah so one of your newest singles imagination uh yeah. i thought it's pretty neat uh how you had you know you had it divided up into what six different sections i guess and you had different directors from i guess was it around just the united states or tell us about that and that process and yeah yeah i mean i've just been fortunate over the years of getting to know a lot of different film directors and creative people and artists and so we were in a meeting and one of the guys in the meeting i'd thrown out this music video idea for imagination and he's like i mean it's cool but i kind of feel like does the world need another music video of just another band playing songs <laughs> he's like i think it should just be something that's interesting and i don't know everything in me as soon as i heard that i was like all right challenge accepted <laughs> and so i was like okay well what about this what if we found what if i reach out to six of my friends and i have them each film 30 seconds of whatever they want and then we piece it all together and that's the music video and whatever happens happens and mm-hmm. to my surprise, every single person I reached out to said yes to it. So I, a week later or two weeks later, was on a plane to Seattle and I filmed two video, three videos in the course of like 24 hours. And then I flew down to LA and I filmed another one. And then I, and then I got back to Nashville and I drove down to Atlanta and I did another one and I drove back home and then I flew to Tampa the next day and filmed another one and just did it all over the course of a week and a half, just one day in each mm. place. And, um, I will be honest, as we were filming it, there were times when some of the guys were asking me to do things. And I'm like, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know. But I just kind of kept it to myself because I told them, I said, you could do whatever you want. And really what, honestly, what kind of kickstarted the idea for me was being at this, I was at this museum in Nashville and 
there was this um, installation of this lady. It was filmed. She was sewing an airplane into her hand. And it was kind of it was mm. kind of weird and crazy. But she was. It was all this um, art from Cuban um, refugee mm-hmm. people that have kind of tried tried to kind of get out of Cuba. And anyway, you're you're watching this, and it's kind of weird, and it's like oh. And then I get in the car later, and it's all I can think about. And I started thinking, isn't it cool that there are still spaces in our world where art, regardless of whether or not you totally get it or not, can exist and be, you know, seen and appreciated or critiqued in whatever way it's meant to, but it's not a product, it's just art. And so that was sort of my pitch to the guys was like, let this music video be a museum and you get to make whatever you want. Hopefully it ties into the song. (laughs) And, uh, and it did. And, I mean, the first time I watched it, my jaw kind of dropped a little bit and it might not even for other people, but more just, I cannot believe this worked. It was, I was in disbelief. So that, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it's a great song and we love the music video. It was, it's pretty sweet. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. So this next segment, I'm just going to ask you some of your favorite things and you just give me your best answer. All right. Great. I love it. Zach, what is your favorite food? Pizza. Pizza. Favorite I love, movie. Uh, yep. Uh, Hook. Hook. I love that movie. Yes. I love Rob Williams, but. He's know. just, yeah, it was genius. Favorite show to binge. Oh, I really love Better Call Saul. Okay, that's I'm allowed to say that. Favorite artist of all time? Oh, oh man, that one you're gonna have to. Um, (laughs) oh gosh, I have actually never thought about that. Isn't that crazy? I've never thought about who my favorite artist of all time is. Can I tell you who my favorites are? Sure, I have to give one favorite. No, you can do a favorite. I would say. I really have so much respect and love for Bono. Uh, mm-hmm. I love Nina Pearson. She was the lead singer of this uh, group, The Cardigans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, even though I think he's really weird and I don't fully get him, I really love Stephen Jenkins from Third Eye Blind uh, yeah. that I followed. And, oh, um, I I just think David Bowie was one of the most fascinating artist ever even though he's yeah. weird and sometimes really controversial very controversial i just you uh you bring david bowie up but i was scrolling through facebook yesterday and there was a picture from the late 80s i think uh freddie mercury and david bowie backstage at some kind of it was the big show that queen did and it was recorded live oh yeah but they were just they were backstage just standing there talking they were like man Two legends and just chilling, you know. <laughs> Dude, I know, man. That would be oh my gosh. In hindsight, you're like, I would have loved to be in that room. Yeah. Uh, what is your f- uh dream duet? Oh, uh, I would love to do a song with Nina from the Cardigans. I don't think it'll ever mm-hmm. happen, but that would be sick. <laughs> what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Sea salt caramel from Molly Moons in Seattle. It's the best in the whole world. You can't Ooh. even argue with me about it. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, trick question favorite podcast? Oh, I mean, of course, Christian Music Guys podcast. It's just, I mean, <laughs> what else would I say? 
Mars Hill. No. <laughs> Mar- Mars Hill podcast. <laughs> and your favorite Bible verse? Uh, 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. Awesome. So what is uh, coming up next for Citizens? And I know you guys got a new EP coming out in July 1st, yep. correct? Yes. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, it's called A Thousand Shores. It will be five songs. You'll hear everything and more and Imagination on it as well, which we just released. Mm-hmm. There'll be a song on it called Hide No More, another song called Love Light, which is one of my favorite songs that we've ever done. And it was also such a labor of love. It took like six years to do that song. We have... Wow. 25 different versions of it. And so I'm so happy that it finally came together. And then a song called A Thousand Shores that I wrote with Leslie Jordan. She used to be in All Sons and Daughters. Mm-hmm. Actually, Hide No More, Leslie wrote on as well. So anyway, she's she's all over this record. She wrote on a lot of songs. But yeah. um, anyway, uh, it's a, it's just I'm excited about it because my hope is that it inspires people and gives them just a a desire to want to reimagine a little bit um, just what it means to, to follow a God that is so much bigger than we can really know. And that, and that can be scary and that could almost sound like uh, almost fatalistic, like, well, then what's the point um, mm-hmm. if you can't know? But I think that's, that's the part that I, I have become so fascinated with. I don't know. You have kids, so it's like I think about this with my kids. Like when they really don't want a good thing to end, or they they want more ice cream, or more of this party, or more of this thing. It's like, well, it's got to end. And to think that God is the one exception to that—that there is actual endless discovery—and that it's like, why wouldn't you want to go on that journey? And so I'm hoping that people will will just, regardless of where they are in their faith, like whether they're feeling pretty confident in their faith or just feeling like. They're hanging on by a thread. I hope that this record would, mm-hmm. would, would, for any person, would be the kind of thing that inspires them to want to reimagine what it could look like for them in their own journey through faith and just kind of discovering more of who God is. Awesome. So, Zach, to wrap up, we'd like to see if you would be willing to share something that God has been doing in your life recently that would help build our listeners' faith. Yes. Um, okay. The other day I was driving in my car and I was praying, um, about just a lot of things that I was hoping God would give me answer prayers that would answer. And I, I, I actually said this out loud while I was praying out loud. And then I said this out loud. I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop myself right there. (laughs) And I just realized I, my prayers are complaints. That's all they were. They were just complaints. Mm -hmm. Not that that's all bad, but I realized I have so much to be grateful for. And even if things aren't the way that I had envisioned them a lot of times, and even if things aren't as far along as I'd hoped or certain relationships aren't where I wish they would be, that I still have so much to be grateful for and to remember that the story is still not done being written until I breathe my last breath and the fact that I have breath. So I don't, I'm just living in a place right now of gratitude and recognizing that for all the things that I wish would be a certain way, there is just so much more that is a certain way that wouldn't be the way it is if not for God providing that. So I'm, I'm feeling really grateful. 
Awesome. So how can our listeners keep up with you guys? Social media, yeah. websites? S- social media. We uh, also, so you can follow us. We're on all the things. Um, and then um, we have an email list too. You can go to our website and get signed up for that. Um, and I mean, we try and use that a little bit different too, not just as like a, here's more information, but I don't know. A lot of times I might journal in there and share different things with people that I wouldn't sure. necessarily share on social media. So um, it's mm-hmm. been a been a cool space for that too. So follow us there. And then you can also see about different places that we're playing and uh, let us know if we're, if we need to come to, to your city or somewhere else where somebody lives. So Citizen ZP comes out July 1st. And the title of that is again, a thousand shores, a thousand shores. Well, thank you so much, Zach, for taking the time and chatting with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jacob. Well, thanks for listening. And thanks again, Zach, for taking the time with us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to yours. Leave us a five-star review. It is much appreciated. Be sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Christian Music Guys. We are a listener-supported podcast. You can check out ChristianMusicGuys.com to see how you join our support team. Thanks again. See you next week.